Welcome to this, the One White Woman podcast. I'm your host, Nene White, and since George Floyd's murder, I've dedicated most of my waking attention to learning about the carefully hidden facts of our country's history around the social injustices that weave their way through all of our lives without any of us even noticing most of the time. In this episode about the invention of whiteness, I share conversation with Musa Deek. The name on Musa Deek's birth certificate reads Brian Thomas, but that name has no meaning for him. And uh, this will be a converse, whole other conversation I hope he and I will share with you in the near future. Musa Deek's full chosen name is Musa Deek Abdur Rashid, which means truth-telling servant of the guide to the right path. As I said, definitely a whole other story. In the conversation you're about to listen to, Musa Deek and I will be making our first attempts at unpacking the history of the invention of whiteness. Yes, it was invented. Musa Deek, a systems analyst for the last 20 years, has engaged in a lifelong respect for the facts of history that need to be revealed. So he really is the perfect person for this conversation. Again, welcome and thank you for sharing these learning experiences with me. Musa Deek, you and I have become friends over the last few months, and I just want to say besides maximum respect that I have for you and love for you, I appreciate conversation with you. So thank you for being here with me on this podcast. Thank you so much, Nini. I really appreciate it. <laughs> you and I are going to talk about something that uh, maybe some people have never considered to be a fact of life, that whiteness, my whiteness, is, and uh, the people in my family and my world, the, our whiteness has, was invented a few centuries ago. So that's what you and I are going to talk about today. <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> <laughs> exciting, yes. So what was your first reaction when you heard this term, the invention of whiteness? My first reaction to the term, uh, the invention of whiteness, uh, was not shocking, uh, sadly. Mm. Um, but my first reaction was, uh, it figures, you know, that so-called white people felt the need to elevate themselves and denigrate the entire rest of humanity. Um, and so I, I said that um, to say that it came from the understanding from a respected elder in our community, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, who uh, published a paper called the ISIS Papers and it was the result of her research and her assertion on the theory of color confrontation. In it, she asserts that white people developed the distinction of white people out of the fear of, ge of genetic annihilation. And so what that means is that um, the white people or so-called Europeans um, have a worldview of scarcity and lack in the world. And um, when they encountered others um, that had abundance, they had to develop a system 
a philosophy, a way of knowing and a way of teaching that allowed them to assert their own superiority in the world so that they could use the guise, if you will, of a God-given right to direct the use of those resources. And so to kind of sum them up, sum that up, um, whiteness is a, is a social construct. Races are a social construct. There is but one race in the world and that's the human race. Mm -hmm. um, and so the need to have a white race or any race distinctions was born out of you know, a fear of genetic annihilation. I, I, I don't think I, I, I guess I could figure out what that means, but I, I'd love to hear okay. your definition of that. So genetic annihilation means that, you know, mixing of, you know, your DNA with other DNAs erases your people, if you will. Um, so just think about it like this uh, in a more modern term, you know, um, an African-American and a European uh, uh, couple will have a baby, but that baby will be termed either African-American or black or anything other than white. Mm. So mm. the fear of genetic annihilation stems from the fact that white people can only re reproduce white people, but they're the minority on the planet. So if white people continue to um, interact or be equally uh, um, equal with the rest of humanity, they will lose their own identity and their own ability to reproduce on the planet. Um, and so that's a long way of saying that we have to control all the resources, we have to control all the ways of knowing, we have to control everything so that everything mm. is a result and produced by a system of European ideology, um, even if it manifests in other races of people, because they don't really exist anyway, if that makes any sense to you. That's a whole lot of fear at the basis of all that. That's exactly what it is, you know, fear of annihilation, fear of being erased, fear of not being the center of attention and the one who gets to control how humanity moves forward. Mm -hmm. Instead of embracing or just uh, holding a bigger picture of this, we're on this planet that we share and yes. how can we all go forward together, which seems Agreed. like know. it would take a lot less energy and uh, yeah. Well, okay. we'll get into a little bit yes. more. Um, but yeah, think about just the infrastructure expense of maintaining a system right. of white supremacy. And in this, uh, in the United States, um, you know, uh, the, two, the two systems, you know, of, you know, separate but equal um, had to be financed. Um, and so again, I agree with you. Yeah, a, ver uh, um, a waste of resources in order to maintain a false system right. of superiority. With perhaps in some people's minds, long-term gain, which was, you know, yes. selling the cotton and selling the tobacco. And <clears throat> selling the people. 
selling the people. So um, can you give us a little, uh, you know, long range view about the history of all of that enslavement and that separation of, of people with different color skin and what was the thinking that, that built so much momentum in this country to allow that to happen? Okay, so according to my research um, and what I found very interesting was, um, you know, all the US laws are based upon British common law. Um, and so mm. in British common law, there is no history of the race distinctions, right? Mm. Uh, British citizens could intermarry, they could jointly own property, things of that nature. Um, in the United States during the 17th century is when the invention of white people actually was first documented. Um, and unfortunately that happened to be in my home state of Maryland um, during the 1681 uh, Maryland General Assembly. Um, and so the result of that legislation uh, in the Maryland General Assembly pretty much said that white men could not be held accountable uh, for raping, molesting, taking the property of African-Americans uh, at that time. Um, and that allowed them to sire children, which could be their property, allowed them to increase their slave holdings and their wealth. Um, and so there became a need for that uh, race distinction uh, in order to maintain mm. that system. Uh, because again, if your son slash slave were to grow up and then asserts his rights as a human and or citizen, then you have a problem with the whole economics of slavery. Mm -hmm. And so that had to be, there had to be a pause and a reevaluation of the legal structure in the United States mm -hmm. in order to support the system of slavery. Okay. And so to elaborate a little yes. further, um, um, you know, there were European indentured servants mm -hmm. um, and slaves uh, in, the, in the Americas, in the colonies. And so again- Even this before was, this was a country? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the first settlers that came over, um, actually um, most of them were indentured servants, right? Uh -huh. uh, because these were the undesirables, if you will, of you know the British of the you know the the the, um, the British uh, system, and so these were not the land owners; these were the landless, mm. uh, and so that was the attraction here, right? Free land, manifest destiny, all these concepts and ideas that later came to be articulated, mm -hmm. but the idea was. Um, there is plenty of land for us to take. The people there or the so-called savages there are not human mm -hmm. and so they have no right to it. Um, and we are God's people chosen to bring civilization forth and that gives us the right to kill, maim, take and rename everything that lays in our path. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd be remiss if I didn't um, mention 
uh, a current uh, documentary called Exterminate All the Brutes, mm -hmm. which really um, brings to light, um, you know, colonial settlers uh, and that whole system, which is again playing itself out now today in Palestine. Mm -hmm. So we need to we need to recognize the connections and the historical evolution of this system. And uh, and sort of the the paradigm that uh, the mental the attitude that just is taken as this is how things are this is reality so we keep pushing forward and from this perspective of white superiority but um, excellent point um that brings me to uh a song that's been you know playing in my head over and over today as i thought about um, our conversation um, mm -hmm. and it's from bob marley redemption song um, he says, you know, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Have no fear for atomic energy because none of them can stop the times. But the, the, the moral is that we need to look at history, right? We need to understand history accurately and bring it into the, the present form so that we can understand what is going on today and how it has evolved. And it's pretty much just the rhetoric that has changed, not the tactics. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, and I can, you know, relate that to the rhetoric of um, our former president Trump, who, um, you know, fell back on the words of former President Nixon when he um, used the um, the uh, uh, words "law and order." See, these are not new terms and concepts. These are an evolution of racist principles. Um, and so you can't say the ghetto today, but you can say urban areas. Mm -hmm. You can say, you know, um, third world countries. These are terms that negatively define and label entire segments of the human population from a European perspective. From a European perspective, yeah. This, this whole whiteness thing. What? I mean, you're so... Um, knowledgeable how did how did this happen for you you didn't get this in school how did you get all this knowledge absolutely not um and my mother was a teacher mm -hmm. so i'm not discounting the public school system at all but what i want to say is the public school system was not designed to educate and empower people mm -mm. it was designed to produce workers for a system that is based upon capitalism mm -hmm. and so Nope, I wasn't taught these things in school. Um, um, I had to search out this knowledge. I had to seek out information to clarify and to fill in the gaps, the missing pages of history. Uh, and I'm gonna keep referring to the Education for Life Academy from the Black Achievement Fund's founder, uh, Archie Hodges, because mm -hmm. this is a current day tool that can help us all demystify um, the prevailing education system and fill in the blanks of those missing pages. And that's what its purpose is. But it is not the only tool out there. I can also advocate for um, narrative, a new um, application uh, owned and created by Dr. Sorry, Dr. Carr and Karen Hunter. Um, and it's narrative spelled with a K, um, but it also does the same thing, clarifies uh, 
historical inaccuracies. And the beauty of that platform is in all spheres of, um, you know, interaction between humans, including music, speeches, things of that nature. Dr. Carr is very good with uh, bringing that into a contemporary uh, uh, understanding for us. And I love it. So I, I have a appreciation for history. Um, the name I chose is Musadiq. Uh, and that means one who tells the truth. And so um, that just um, makes me dive further into history so that I can uncover the truth and I can represent the truth and I can articulate the truth. Well, you do it wonderfully well. Um, we need to put these uh, resources that you've sh just now shared into the notes. So um, make sure you give those to me, okay? Absolutely. But narrative, Dr. Carr, and who's the other person? Dr. Karen Hunter. Karen Hunter, okay. So, um, okay. So in a previous conversation, there was an unfolding that I'd like to go into a little bit more because the way it happened, little step by little step by little step, so that, you know, when things happen uh, like in a revolution, then it grabs a whole lot of attention. But it, when it's little step by little step by little step, even well-meaning people can miss what's going on because it's not so obvious. So do you want to unfold that the way this invention of whiteness happened a little bit more? Sure. Um, to pick up where I left off a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, we talked about um, British common law and the development of the laws here in the United States. Um, so uh, a significant point was the whole intermarriage, right? Mm. Again, because I alluded to the mm. fact that, you know, slave owners were siring children that they were, you know, relegating to slavery and increasing their holdings. Mm. But another you know, issue or dilemma that presented itself there was, of course, there were some freed Blacks here, right? There were some freed African-Americans uh, on the continent that were not slaves. And so how do you deal with the fact that you have free men and women that by law should have the opportunity to intermarry, right? Mm -hmm. To have children, to own property. And so sets of laws had to be instituted in order to prevent that, <clears throat> excuse me. And so um, prior to uh, the actual documentation in the Maryland uh, uh, law books, you had early anti-miscegenation laws uh, and they started as early as 1664. Miscegenation is intermarrying between races. Uh, and so you had actual laws on the books in the United States that prevented the intermarrying of races. And um, again, that was a derivation from the British common law. It only applied really to Europeans and African peoples. Although of course you had the Native Americans here, you had some Asian Americans, right? In, mm -hmm. in the United States. And so these laws were set up to really bar, you know, the black and white people from intermarrying, although they were used to separate the rest as well. But it was a system that had to justify, mm. you know, the tradition of racism, mm. if you will, the mm -hmm. tradition of slavery, 
So um, I'd like to also uh, reference um, Ibram X. Kendi's book, Stamp from the Beginning, mm -hmm. um, which gives us a history, right, of the evolution of racist terms and terminology uh, because first came the acts, right? First came the deliberate acts of racism and segregation, right? Then you had to have the systems and the philosophies in order to support that, to validate that, then to codify that in law. Mm -hmm. And so um, Ibram X. Kendi gives a great um, elucidation on the history of those racist ideas mm -hmm. and how they've changed and the rhetoric has gone from, you know, overt and offensive terms mm -hmm. like the ghetto to urban areas, which mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so it's a very complex, convoluted um, history of sometimes subtle, sometimes overt, but ultimately, um, very uh, divisive tactics and techniques in order to maintain a system of separation and white supremacy. As a white woman, one of the big surprises for me with all of this, and um, listeners of this podcast know that I just woke up at George Floyd's murder, basically. I just, just thought being a good person and not having anything against African-Americans was enough that I wasn't part of the problem. But what I am experiencing more and more, especially in conversation with you, is that my lack of awareness and my lack of education is contributing to the problems, the ongoing problems, because it's as if <clears throat> I'm giving a free pass to the ongoing laws and policies that have had such a negative effect on my brothers and sisters who have a different color of skin from mine. So this is heavy stuff and it's very hurtful and it's ugly and horrible, but it needs our attention so we can wake up and see what's going on just underneath the surface of manipulation. And so I really appreciate all these details because I just feel like this, this glue on my eyes is being neutralized. And so thank you, Musadiq. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, you know, we are all victims. Right. We're all, you know, we've all been subjected, right, to the rule and patriarch patriarchal domination of white men. Let yeah. me say that, right, because... Yeah. Um, I do understand that your audience is predominantly women and um, women, white and black are victims of this system of white supremacy. It has again evolved to now allow white women to take advantage of the benefits uh, that were primarily and uh, initially only reserved for land owning white men. Right. And so if you think about the, the history of the suffragette movement, um, you know, that was the late 18th century, early 1900s. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that was when white women started to assert 
their own independence and start to ask for and demand the same rights as white men. And so initially this system was set up to support and uh, benefit white men only. Mm -hmm. White men, white women were, you know, almost relegated to slavery as African-Americans were. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, pretty much the property of their husbands. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a oh god okay I'm not gonna go off on my <laughs> yes but I think another side of unwitting victims is you know that there is this mentality that there's only one way for humanity to go forward and that's if the white people make all the decisions and have all the privileges. That is just so. That's like a monoculture in a in a agri, you know, in a garden. Is you, you know, if you just keep planting one thing, I mean, science tells us the plants get less and less healthy because there wasn't enough, you know, change and variety and mutual um, benefit that nothing thrives. And and that's what we see happening in this country now. Absolutely, it's, it's a it's a it's a false concept that this is the way to thrive. It's, it's a false one. And, uh, you know, Absolutely. and I'm not, you know, I mean, actually I'm saying this purely, not purely, but definitely from a selfish perspective that uh, I feel that this monoculture of the white supremacy is actually detrimental to all of us. It, it absolutely is. To white people, very definitely too. Absolutely. I'm, you yeah. know, we are all human beings. Right. Right. There are a wealth of experiences. Right. The wealth of, you know, resources, the wealth of knowledge that we all bring to the table. And creativity. Absolutely. And perspective. And perspective. So if we relegate all of humanity to one perspective, uh, then we see the results of such actions. Right. And I have to, you know, bring it bring it current. If we look at what's happening today in Israel and Palestine, mm. uh, that we see the results of this mono, um, mono idea, you know, mm. this one way mm. of, of seeing things and doing things and learning things. Mm. Um, at the same time, we promote uh, the concept of diversity. Um, and so uh, I came up with, and I don't know if it was mine, but um, I, you know, use this term, the land of hypocritunity uh -huh. as the United States, because, you know, as our Native American brothers and sisters said, you know, years ago, the white man speaks with a forked tongue, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, he espouses democratic principles and universality of man, yet holds on to his own supremacy and one world view way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. So that's a Hippocratic way of, you know, presenting yourself to the world. Uh, you know, that's hypocrisy at its height, in my opinion. Um, you know, the, the current buzzword now is diversity. Yet, diversity is only uh, being viewed from a Eurocentric perspective again, mm -hmm. right? Everybody has to compare themselves into the European world 
or the European worldview instead of the European worldview now accepting that it's the minority on the planet and it needs to allow a more diverse conversation on everything. For its own benefit. For its own benefit. Um, What's but you said something, um, you said something important um, because we all operate, you know, out of our own, right? Our own- Self-interest. Self-interest. Yes. Right, and so um, that's, that's the thinking as far as Europeans are concerned too. See themselves as part of the world, understanding subconsciously, right? Because this is not something that, you know, white people talk about the fact that they're the minority on the planet, mm -hmm. right? But you know that inherently. Mm -hmm. And then your actions demonstrate that you know that by hoarding, by controlling, mm -hmm. by manipulating. And so that conversation needs to be had uh, honestly um, and not just within the circle of, you know, the white elite power structure. Mm -hmm. um, we have to have an open conversation between the working people of the world and those that make decisions. Um, Absolutely. And, and the thing is, the working people of the world need to realize that they are being manipulated also. Not just, not just people with melanated skin, not just African-Americans, not just the so-called minorities in this country. They are being manipulated as well. Absolutely. To make decisions and choices against their own well-being by, by being told, just as the Germans were in Germany, that the Jewish people were their enemies. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just so the manipulation is so appalling and so once you see it that's why i wanted to have this conversation that we are, have all been so manipulated and once that comes to light then it's just like okay how can i find out what's really going on now and that's that's why i have this podcast because i want people to just stop taking things for granted so much for their own benefit not for someone else's i mean sure for someone else's benefit but for their own benefit you know right um you know i tend to use cliches uh but sometimes they're appropriate um yes right uh and that's a another african tradition if you will right we talk about aesop's fables mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but these are you know cliches which are really proverbs that are easy to remember and that we can easily rehearse, but bring us wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, divide and conquer is one that comes. Yep. And I'm gonna, you know, uh, um, bring that back to the labor, right? And then the need to separate yep. the races. Yes. Uh, but uh, 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 information is power is another cliche, right? Because once you have a working understanding of the system in which we live, right? Then you can effectively work against it in order to bring it down and or mitigate you know, your involvement in it. Exactly. Know, so that you're not contributing to the oppression of other people. Exactly. So that's another cliche. And the third one just lost my mind. So I'm so sorry. It'll come back. It'll come back. Yeah. Um, um, good. So, you know what? I, I keep wanting to bring this conversation back to the history that, that I, I know you are very familiar with. And just 
there was a Bacon's. Uh, yes, Bacon's Rebellion. Rebellion. And, right. you know, I heard that so much, but that is so essential and important to this whole conversation that we're having. Can, can you tell us about when that happened and what that what that triggered in this country? Sure. So Bacon's Rebellion happened right around the time of the 1681 uh, Maryland uh, Assembly, uh, uh, um, you know, decision that really gave rise to this whiteness, this uh, invention of white people. And so Bacon's Rebellion was a prolonged slave revolt in Virginia, right? Mm. And so that resulted in both black and white people mm. fighting against slave owners. Mm. Because again, remember that they were indentured servants who were pretty much just uh, in the hierarchy of human beings here in the United States were pretty much just a step above the slaves. Uh -huh. And so they had fewer rights than the property owners as well. And so they saw the inequality of the system in which they lived. And so they aligned themselves with the slaves and joined this Bacon's Rebellion. Okay, so again, uh, bringing it back to the divide and conquer, one of the yeah. things that needed to happen as a result of Bacon's Rebellion was to pit poor blacks and poor whites against one another. And how did they do that? Well, you had the miscegenation laws, right? Right. You had the first Continental Congress of the United States. Uh, and so that happened uh, years later, but these are all, again, the evolution of this process, right? And right. the evolution of the whole thinking and then validating in documents mm -hmm. to support the way of life. Mm -hmm. um, so then you had the, you know, the naturalization laws that came in to being, which pretty much, uh, brought into the existence uh, the, the lexicon uh, British and other white citizens instead of any alien being and any free white person uh, to become citizens of the United States. And so again, this is just a history of the progression and the changing of the rhetoric in order to fit the new tactics um, to separate people and to maintain a system of human slavery, but also of property ownership uh, and the human hierarchy of the socially constructed races, if you will. Mm. So there had to be documents in order to support this system, mm. which doesn't exist. Right. What always hurts me to the core is that uh, uh, the system also incorporated um, techniques and approaches to make African-Americans believe in their inferiority to white people through very brutal tactics. And, and we even can see the carryover of that in, in uh, some of the people in your community. And that, that just, I hate that so much that people that upon whom this, these uh, lies were promoted believe the lies about themselves. Yeah. It's ugly that the whites believe them and it's 
such a waste that the African-Americans believe them to whatever degree that they've, that's baked into their self-concept. It's just such a waste and such a travesty. I hate it. Yeah, and, and you make a great point. Um, you know, we've all been affected, right? Right. Uh, and in varying degrees, right? Um, some African-Americans are not even aware of, right. you know, the history and right. the predicament we find ourselves in. Right. Uh, the barriers that we've come up across, the inability to garner generational wealth, um, the effect of this system of white supremacy and racism across the globe is so pervasive, so uh, long-standing, uh, and so deeply uh, uh, rooted in every aspect that I find myself um, arguing with my own people about <laughs> historical facts. Mm. And so to bring that to the current um, issues with the 1619 Project uh, and Nicole Hannah-Jones, um, Dr. Cornell West, both of these professors, of course, you know, have the highest levels of education in the Western world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, employees of some of the most prestigious institutions in the Western world. Both of them have produced life works uh, critically analyzing uh, the system of white supremacy and its effects upon African-Americans and the globes for years, professionally and um, proficiently, I must say. Um, Nicole Hannah-Jones is now being uh, barred from tenure at uh, UNC Chapel Hill here in North Carolina as a result of her work in the 1619 Project, which only accurately portrays history in the United States from 1619 forward. Um, so these are the things that um, African-Americans are faced with. Uh, even those that are cognizant of our history work towards exposing and rectifying the inaccuracies of history, we've run up against these systematic uh, barriers uh, and then invalidations, if you will, of the work that uh, has been done, the scholarship that has been involved um, in order to maintain a system that is based upon you know, historical inaccuracies. Okay. So we need to have a part two on this conversation because Absolutely. yeah, I, I keep meaning to look into the 1619 project and I have watched Cornell West on YouTube many times, but um, I, we need, to, if you will please share more conversation in an upcoming episode soon. Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Okay. We need we need much more unpacking of all of these uh, these facts that we have do. been hidden and covered up, and and yeah, there are many more topics that we need to discuss, and um, maybe we'll mix it up with wins too, so that it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> okay, I like yeah. that. You know, we got to have some hope. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I, needed, I needed to make one more point. Uh, oh, yes, to, excuse me. Go ahead. Uh, um, 
just relative to the, you know, the naturalization laws here in the United States, these were valid up until 1952, okay? And so again, um, relative to actual citizenship in the United States, the words um, that defined who is and who is not a citizen were actually free white person may be admitted to become a citizen uh, in the United States Congress. And this was again valid up until 1952. So, so somebody would come into this country and they could be here legally, but they couldn't be considered a citizen? That's correct. Until 1952? That's correct. I did not know that. And so, I mean, you know, we oh my again tie this to immigration laws today, right? Right. Uh, and you hear the various, uh, um, you know, perspectives. Uh, but we need to root our perspectives in historical fact and yes. how and why these systems are in place and then why so many people are, you know, choosing the sides that they're choosing to support. Right. And yes, and a lot of it is based on ignorance. A lot of, uh, yes, lack of education. I mean, yes. it, yeah, that it's just the wrong information that's coming down the pike to us very purposefully through education, through media, through whatever. Very purposely. Very purposely. And so I would be remiss again if I didn't um, call out and call to your attention the fact that Carter G. Woodson wrote The Miseducation of the Negro in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he was one of the first African-American PhD uh, uh, graduates in the United States. And he himself, a product of the institutions recognized and then documented the fact that the institutions here in the United States are miseducating us. Yeah. But we've ignored it all this time. That's the only reason I brought that up is because he told us, he told us we're being miseducated and we continue to allow ourselves to be educated and not supplement that education. Right. Because again, I don't wanna um, denigrate the public school system, but I wanna call to attention the fact that it's not doing what it could do to effectively educate us holistically and not from a European uh, worldview. Well, I just wanna say that 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 boat, that ship is turn, changing course slowly but surely it is because teachers, you know, I was a teacher and I taught a lot of this miseducation. I was a history teacher. Wow. One, of, one of the things I taught. And I'm just, I'm just, oh God, it's just painful to think about the miseducation that I was proposing or presenting to my students because that was what was in the books. And, you know, I had a family and I had, <clears throat> I had other interests besides my job as a teacher. And I thought I was doing a good job giving the kids you know, so it's like, it, it just, the roots are so deep that we're just gonna uncover them, dig up, dig them up. And that's what we're gonna do in conversation here, you and I, Mr. D. I see that as my, as my uh, responsibility. Good, yeah. yeah. Especially with your name as representing truth, you know, and just, and really, we can all breathe easier not having to go through all the work of, of all these keeping these lies intact, which are just so unnatural for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so, so I just want to say that 
I am so, so grateful for this friendship that you and I are, are growing and growing together. And I thank the Black Achievement Fund for getting to meet you through uh, that fantastic organization. As and, do I. <laughs> yes. No, I'm most appreciative for our relationship, for our friendship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it means a lot. You know, it's so enriching to me. You know, one thing I have to say in all of this white invention and then this black uh, African-American subjugation is I've been trying to understand for, for pretty much my whole life, what is it, what is it about African-Americans that there's some joy, there's some life, there's some light of life that is, I'm sorry, it's unique to all of you. It is. And that's, I don't mean that as a racist thing, but then I finally have recently gained some insight into that, that makes so much sense to me. And you can tell me if this makes sense to you. I, I really am asking for your honest reaction to this. But as oppressors, to, to do that work of oppressing, to creating uh, false narratives, to writing laws and enforcing them. What part of my connection to humanity, to my awareness of what is true, do I have to shut down, turn off and ignore? And what does that do to me as a human being? And I have inherited that shutdownness because I am white. I have received that epigenetically in the genes, that shutdownness of my empathy, of my connection to what is true and what is real, that we are all one human race. Just as the oppressed, the, the African-Americans, the, the people of color have not had that exercise, have not gone through that, that effort to suppress others. And so that part of them, that empathy, that heart, that connection to what is, they've had trauma. Their trauma has been passed through the generations. Just as I think, but not the, the lack of humanity, not the lack of humanity, not the empathy, not the connection, not the ability to love and to see the big picture and hold the fact of the oneness of the human race. But I think from the white side, that has been shut down. And that's why we mainly don't exhibit as much of the light of life. But what do you think about that? <laughs> I think you said a lot. Um... And primarily um, what I take from that statement was you recognize that there is a sort of dying um, of the human spirit, the lack of empathy that is now, um, you know, becomes less and less uh, passed on, right? So if you start at 100, you know, now we're passing on 20%, 10% maybe of that empathy for humanity. Um, and so that is the number one takeaway from maintaining this system, right? You lose your own humanity. Yeah. Uh, if you can articulate the fact that everything outside of my 
generated or self-generated superiority is either non-human or inferior, then you are reducing your own humanity. Yeah. You know, to justify a false sense of superiority. Yeah. Uh, and and so, in the African American community, um, it has done several things, uh, strengthened us. Um, it has inspired us. Uh, for some, it has killed us, right? Mm -hmm. um, we cope with the dichotomy of living in the Western dominated world several ways, right? Some of us, you know, cope with drugs and alcoholism, um, overeating or whatever, self-indulgent, mindless, you know, things that we can get, out, get ourselves into to take away from the fact that we are being oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, we exercise whatever freedoms we can to the nth degree mm -hmm. uh, because we recognize that I really am not free. So let me just go ahead and go hard um, in this exercise of freedom. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, I can appreciate when some of the rappers allude to the fact that you know, we wear big gold chains because we were in gold chains uh, or we were in chains. And so the reverse of that or the reactionary, uh, uh, um, you know, effect of that is now to, you know, exploit whatever wealth or freedom I have, you know, in an excessive way. Uh, and so there have been many effects, you know, both beneficial and detrimental. Uh, we say in our community, again, you know, the same thing will make you laugh or make you cry, mm. right? Uh, because this is a coping mechanism for us, right? Mm. Uh, we think about jazz music and things of this nature. Uh, they were born out of the struggle uh, 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 of getting our music being played and then having some meaning behind it. Um, and so we express ourselves, you know, freely sometimes in covert ways, but that allow us to articulate our pain and our struggle and our worldview, uh, which sometimes is misunderstood. So, um, you know, I like to, you know, see things as half full when even they, you know, can be viewed as half empty because again, that's just a perspective, right? It's the same vessel, uh, half full and half empty we're saying the same thing. It's just the way we're framing it, right? It's that narrative again. And so uh, African-Americans, Black people, Africans throughout the diaspora have developed ways of knowing, ways of communicating, ways of articulating, ways of being, right? That um, allow them to have some type of autonomy and some type of freedom that is not really in existence. And so we have to, you know, fake it until we make it, uh, if you will. And I'm, I, I just see that and respect it and, and feel honored whenever I can be around it because uh, there's a part of me, and forgive me, but there's a part of me that thinks that you, well, there's no way you could see what I see because I look at you from outside. 
you know, your community. And uh, I just see a bigness and uh, a beauty that, that's, uh, that's very beautiful. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to find my words. I'm going to keep working on the words to express what uh, I experience um, when I get to be with all of you. Um, and I, I really am saddened by the separations, the false separations. And uh, like you, I, I do not support them and uh, want to work to eradicate them. Um, Shall we continue this conversation soon and, and continue our education? I really appreciate how you explained and things. One more thing I just wanted to say is, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put that on your tombstone. <laughs> one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but historically, yes. we've always had allies. So yes. I want to highlight and again, congratulate and show you my appreciation oh. because, you know, you're, you know, a current example of our John Browns, right? No. Oh. We've always had allies. Historically, they haven't been uh, uh, lifted up by your community because again, that reinforces the fact that we are one, you know, humanity. And if we work together, we can eradicate these things. Mm. Um, and so that's just what you're doing. And I applaud you. Yeah. I'm committed to helping in any way I can to help demystify some of this American mythology. Exactly. And let's call it that mythology. Yep. Yeah, invented. Yeah, good. All right, so we will get together after this and uh, figure out the next things we're going to share with everyone and um, make a plan for our next conversation to be recorded. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. <laughs> Me too. Thank you, Musadiq. Okay. Bye. Rochelle's hunger strike will begin on May 16, 2021. You can learn more about plans and how the strike is progressing at, at any of her social media sites, all of which contain the words Rochelle for HR40, and which will be updated by her volunteer support team. Please refer to this show's notes to find Rochelle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I have all the links in the notes. I'd also like to share with everyone about an organization that has given me an abundance of hope and energy because its solutions-oriented approaches reflect uncommon levels of intelligence, integrity, and practical creative positivity across the full spectrum of human development and aspirational achievements. The organization is the Black Achievement Fund. You can learn more at their website www.solutions. No, I'm sorry. www.baf.solutions. It's not www.baf.com. <clears throat> it's www.baf.solutions because solutions really is what the Black Achievement Fund is all about. Thank you again for being here to share the learning with me. Until next time.